Hello, and welcome to the Kingdom Corner Podcast, where you can propel your faith into even deeper levels as we discuss how to live the kingdom culture on earth as it is in heaven, just as Jesus prayed. Here's your host, the great Matt Geib. Today, I am really excited. We have another special guest, and he is so special to me. Uh, one of my all-time favorite people. He's a hero of mine. Almost 10 years ago, we met in a Starbucks in Bonnie Lake, Washington here, as he was a pastor of Passion Worship Center. And from that meeting on, we, um, you know, I started going to his church. He had a great influence in my life. He brought me to a place where uh, I was at a place of spiritual stagnant, stagnation, you would say, isolation. I was walking with the Lord, but I wasn't really moving into the realization of what God had for me ministry-wise, calling-wise, or, full, or, or fullness as a favored son. But through him and through his ministry, uh, that was revitalized. Uh, Pastor Chris Bassett, or should I say doctor, is uh, who I'm introducing today. Uh, and um, I'm just so honored to have him here. He opened my eyes up to a lot of different things. Um, but he's been a pastor of 25 years, a retired chaplain with 33 years of military service. Uh, he's been deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan. Dr. Chris Bassett spent 10 years as a police chaplain, 15 years as a sheriff deputy, detective, master police officer, he knows a little bit about ministry burnout as he published a study on first responder chaplains and burnout. He's a master trainer in suicide prevention. Dr. Bassett is the founder and president of Fourth Dimension Ministries, a ministry dedicated to helping people see themselves and others as God sees them. Fourth Dimensional Ministries, or Dimension, I should say, ministries.org. Uh, Chris recently moved from Washington State to Florida, where he resides now with his wife, Sherry. He enjoys full-time RV life, serving an RV community as chaplain. He has four adult children who are exploring their own careers, and he's uh, become a first-time grandfather of Milo. He enjoys running, weightlifting, taekwondo, teaching Bible studies, enjoying the beach and dating his beautiful wife. Um, he's passionate about missions. He travels regularly. He's been to Tanzania, and I know he's been to China. Uh, he teaches over there in Tanzania at a school for pastors. He's dedicated to writing, speaking, uh, and that's why we're here today. He's written a powerful book that we're going to dissect and dive into. He is available for speaking engagements, radio, webcast, podcast, uh, he can speak with authority, and I know that because I sat under his ministry, on a wide variety of topics. The main ones are ministry burnout, avoidance and recovery, fourth dimension faith, suicide intervention, the spirit of suicide, and our identity in Christ. So I recently connected with Chris, and I was excited when he said he'd come on the Kingdom Corner podcast. His new book, it just came out, right, Chris? Correct. And that's called Weary, Burdened, and Burned Out. Uh, it was just published, and we're here to dissect into that book a little bit, to unearth some great truths, and to promote it. So having said that, I'm going to let you just say hello to the group here, to the folks. 
Well, hello everyone. It's good to be here. Um, Matt is an absolute treasure, so I'm I'm pleased to be here on his show, and uh, and humbled just to be able to present my book. So, thank you, Matt. Amen. Uh, uh, you write, and I, I want you to kind of uh, want to kind of dissect into this paragraph if we could. Feeling exhausted, cynical, overburdened in your ministry, there is hope. This is how, how the book opens up, or one of the opening phrases. We suffer mm-hmm. burnout because we overwork ourselves. We suffer burnout when we experience disappointment, betrayal, and rejection. We suffer burnout as we fall short of our own expectations. No one who dares venture great things escapes burnout symptoms. But we do not have to succumb to burnout or let it destroy our ministry calling. Uh, so from this quote, and as I got into your book, uh, which was so beautiful, I surmised that you went through some of the very things that you so eloquently write upon. So uh, if if we could dissect that a little bit, or you would dissect that for the audience a little bit, it'd be great. Sure, and uh, maybe as an introduction, burnout really is kind of a become common uh, in many sectors of of uh, the professions. Um, particularly the helping professions, and uh, it's been explored uh, fairly extensively in clergy, uh, not so much in first responder chaplains and uh, chaplaincy in general as much as in uh, clergy in general. Um, And it really is uh, kind of what I said. You know, we we experience so much in ministry and helping other people and pouring ourselves out, living in a fishbowl, kind of um, making ourselves available to people, uh, but we often have a difficult time taking care of ourselves and, and ensuring that, that we're getting what we need uh, in Christ uh, to continue growing, to continue um, staying secure in our identity. And I talk about that a bit in the book. Um, but uh, my own journey is, in I think, uh, carried mostly in chapters or in the introduction in chapter one, a little bit in chapter two. And... Um, and I kind of just share from the perspective of, of somebody who has uh, finally late come to realize uh, that I was burned out. I was, uh, you know, I'd, I'd been uh, doing ministry since roughly 1997 uh, in one capacity or another and um, had been doing some pretty intense ministry with uh, the military and combat zones, uh, Hurricane Katrina and Rita and, and uh, the Oso landslide in Washington, um, doing ministry and and with police officers uh, and you know going through some pretty uh, serious critical incidents with them so um, some of that can be seen as as something that might lead to PTSD which is differentiated from burnout uh, that's more of a an acute um, psychological trauma that you've you've experienced and and takes you into a disorder if, if it's allowed to go that far uh, burnout itself really is just sort of a common everyday stuff, and it can be exacerbated by trauma. Um, but for the most uh, most part, it's it's I almost look at it more as losing your way somewhere along the way, and uh, forgetting why you had the passion to start the things you started, forgetting why you got into the ministry in the first place, um, and needing to re- um, either reset well, needing to reset in some some way or another, whether it's within the ministry you're in, or actually listening to God closely and hearing, okay, maybe it's time to move on to something else. 
Um, and there's more clinical di- diagnostics on what burnout is, and maybe we can talk about that through the process as well. Sounds good. Um, you know, I just have to say that um, my, um, I don't want to puff you up too much here, but this book, uh, it just really opened my eyes to some things that I hadn't realized before. See, I know you. I know a lady that we both know up here, Debbie Ray. And I know another woman from Ohio. She's a, a chaplain in the hospital there. You and Debbie Ray are chaplains like to work to the police and the fire departments, correct? Correct. Yes. And so, but I guess I never had really known the fullness of what chaplains do. Now, And maybe our audience doesn't, you see. And so I had a new respect for what they do. And I would just say that's a calling, uh, sadly, that it's like within the church world that I saw, um, that I want to see it change like the redheaded stepchild. People don't really know what to do with chaplains. Um, and I also, the way I, I respect it so much, you are a military chaplain as well. I, I think the church maybe doesn't want to look at it or deal with it. Um, because it's a calling when you get into it, the things that you shared, the experiences you've been through, one of them I know of up here that happened to a young couple, um, is not for the faint of heart. You know, you just don't decide, oh, yeah. you know, nobody should decide to go into any ministry without God calling them. But I'm sure that's a calling. You just don't decide one day, well, I think I want to be a chaplain, you know? Don't you, th- you know, sure. you know what I'm talking about. So, Sure, yeah, it's it's definitely something you, I mean, and just like you said, we, we really should follow what our calling is rather than looking at things as careers or just a, a nice hobby. Um, and the, the people who start out ch- any branch of chaplaincy, whether it's in hospitals, military, VA, uh, there, there are even racetrack chaplains, uh, chaplains in the, in the business sphere, uh, and, of course, police and fire chaplains. Any of those um, sectors of chaplaincy, um, if, if you're not called to it, uh, it can really be toxic for you. Right. Now, is there a way that you could simplify for our audience? I mean, they haven't read your book yet. Maybe some of them have. But anyway, uh, in a nutshell, the definition of, in your mind, because you've done it for years, what a chaplain is, what they do. So maybe the audience can get a little more insight on that. Sure. And, and of course, there's a really broad um, understanding, I think, sort of uh, ministry-wide of what chaplains can be. So maybe I'll, I'll settle on what the ideal uh, right. for what a chaplain definition is. Um, because some people get into chaplaincy with no training, uh, just a lot of faith. And, and that's not to say they can't be a success. Um, but chaplaincy, like any pastorate, uh, should require first a calling. Uh, and that's both the internal calling from God and the external calling of, of the church, recognizing uh, the calling of God on your life. Um, but it really is, is a calling not so much to the church as it is to a, a group, a people group, uh, somewhere outside of that calling. We recognize it in missionaries, for instance. So a missionary says, I feel called to Africa. And uh, the church will assess that, and, and you know they may affirm that calling. Um, but even once you... Uh, receive that calling, you really kind of need to narrow it down. You can't be a, a missionary to all of Africa. 
It's, no. a, it's a very rare person like a Dr. Livingston that becomes a missionary to all of Africa. Um, the, the normal process is you feel called to a people group. You feel called to a specific nation. And then you go and start ministering there. And usually, because we're limited creatures, we end up uh, ministering to that smaller group. Uh, it might be a, a village. It might be a town. So we recognize this when we talk about missionaries. When we talk about chaplains, um, we're talking about you know calling into any of those sectors I mentioned before. Uh, I was a police officer for 15 years with uh, with a an agency in Washington State, um, and and then also in the military. So for me, it was kind of natural to um, to feel called to to uh, really reach out to the police community. Um, so. Um, Chaplaincy itself is not being a pastor, although I think it, just from my theology and my perspective, uh, it really requires you to be called first to be a pastor. Mm. Um, and then it requires you to, to have a mission field, uh, just like I discussed, a people group that, to whom you're called. Um, and then you essentially extend that out, uh, to recognizing that you're not you're not preaching at a pulpit. Uh, you're not doing communion. You may not even be doing Bible studies. You're literally going into a, a foreign workspace and um, and ministering to people who may not always be looking for a minister. Um, and sometimes it's just a ministry of presence where you're there. And uh, a lot of people don't recognize the value of a chaplain until there's a trauma until they've lost somebody so uh, or until their marriage is falling apart and then they may come to you so chaplaincy is uh, and, and one of the reasons i think why the church has such a problem with chapel with dealing with chaplaincy uh, is that it's outside of the four walls of the church um, mm -hmm. many churches have started developing chaplaincy programs so it's becoming a lot more understood in, in many denominations um, but by and large you're right, people don't know what to do with chaplains. Even a fire commander or a police uh, chief uh, or a uh, commander in the military doesn't always know what to do with a chaplain. Uh, and, and so our, our ministry is very broad in that it can be teaching Bible studies, it can be uh, holding church services such as in the military, uh, but many times it's just visiting patients on a, on a ward and just asking them how they're doing. Uh, it may be going and, and doing a death notification uh, for the po police or fire department. Um, but in some sense, you're also always looking at how can I impact um, the people around me, the people to, that I'm serving, uh, not just in taking over death notifications for them, uh, but in actually assisting them in their grieving, in their post-traumatic stress, um, being there for their families, uh, or maybe just getting that opportunity to have a religious discussion with somebody who's seeking God. Um, so you're always trying to salt um, your, uh, your ministry focus into the community you're given and, uh, and be that salt and light for them. Does that kind of cover chapter? I think that's really for? good. I think the the two things I really picked up on from the book, um, and I think you mentioned it. One, chaplains, a lot of them are in an arena. Like if you were a chaplain at the racetrack, or different or, or different places like that, um, uh, you may be there year in and year out, month in and month out. Never really see uh, a convert correct? I mean... <laughs> yes, that's correct. That's one part. 
that could be discouraging. Uh, and the other part is uh, that I don't think the church world likes to look into is you are the you are really at the forefront of trauma situations, you know. And I think a lot of people would have a hard time, even born-again believers, maybe even born-again pastors that hadn't been through that a lot, would have a hard time, you know, dealing with that. And and you, that's a kind of a, for some of you, like if you were in the military chaplaincy, uh, depending on where you were at, I would think that would be a regular occurrence, you know. Um, well, um, in chaplaincy, you're really playing the long game with people. Um, right. And, and you're really, you're, you're, like I said, it's a ministry of presence. You're there, you're present, right. and you represent something. And as I always would tell my young chaplains uh, on the military side, um, you have effect not because you wear a cross or you wear the uniform or you have rank. Um, you have effect because of who you bring into the room with you. And so the, the very first place that chaplains need to start is with recognizing that, that they don't find their identity in their ministry. Mm, they find their good. identity first in Christ. And so when you walk into the room, you automatically know, I am having an effect. I'm cha- literally changing the atmosphere of the room. I've changed everybody's options when I walked into the room because of who I brought with me. And so it, it doesn't have anything to do with your skills as a counselor uh, or your ability to, to uh, help people in grief or your kindness and compassion in, in, uh, in delivering a, a death notification. Um, it really has to do with, with who you brought into the room with you. Mm. Uh, and in, in most instances in, in institutional chaplaincy, you really have a lot of constraints on what you can do in ministry as far as sharing the gospel. So, um, right. you know, oftentimes you're just flat not allowed unless the person you're talking to actually asks you questions in that direction. And so you're, you're doing a very passive form of ministry, which is very uncomfortable for the church. Uh, many of the church would, would like to know that, that um, they're sending somebody out who, like a missionary, is going to go and, and begin to stand on street corners in, in Europe and, and preach the gospel or, and, you know, a major revival breaks out. Very few revivals break out um, because of a chaplain in a workplace. It does yes. happen. I've seen it happen in, in ministry cha- in, uh, military chapels. Uh, but what you're doing is, is you're uh, planting seeds, and, and it's, they're seeds that maybe somebody else is going to come along and water. Uh, but God always gives the growth. Amen. So you have to really, really recognize the importance of, of winning the ground you walk on uh, mm. When you enter uh, the the business place, or when you enter the racetrack, or the a friend that does hydroplanes and and race race car driving, chaplaincy, I I really admire that, <laughs> a little envious, but um, so you you have to recognize that that you're really seeding the ground, and you may not be there to see the converts. Uh, one of my favorite things about military chaplaincy has been staying in touch with many of the people that, that I knew uh, back when I was just a young captain chaplain. And here 20 years later, I, I may run into them on Facebook or uh, may see them at a reunion. And uh, suddenly these guys that were, uh, that I would say cussed like a sailor, but I think it's applicable for just about any profession, especially uh, in the military, <laughs> um, now are following Christ with all their heart and they, they 
are just they would they love to come up and talk with me because they just want to share their experience and sometimes I even had a, a bit of influence in that even though I could not have imagined um, that that God was having an impact through me I just had to trust that Christ in me was speaking to something in them amen see I I see it this way and I'm sure you can relate you just shared it. You you go on, it's a, a ministry of perseverance where you're just ministering consistently, indefinitely, day in, day out, month in, month out, year in, year out, and maybe you don't see any impact at all, but then maybe years down the road, like you said, you run into somebody and said, Chaplain Bassett, you don't, you know, and he was a cuss, like you said, cussed like a sailor, was the worst sinner. Uh, you know, I remembered, and, and you were used in my life, and I came to know Christ, and part of the reason is I, you were always there, even when I wasn't willing to totally listen. And that helped, that was kind of an, one of the influences that came, made me come to Christ. I bet you run into people like that a lot, right? <laughs> well, well, you know my favorite story is, is the one with Russ. Yes, I know, um, I'm thinking of him. Yeah, oh, my... Um, a guy yes. that, that was uh, hurting very badly from repeated PTSD in some situations uh, that had happened to him that he got himself into. But, you know, he's, he's one of those Special Forces Rangers kind of guys that, um, that, you know, he can do everything on his own. He doesn't need any help, least of all right. a God's help. And, and I, so I was told, hey, this guy really is hurting. You need to talk to him. And so I give him a call, and the first you know, words out of his mouth essentially were, uh, hey, chaplain, just so you know, I'll, I'm willing to talk to you, but I don't want to hear anything about God or the Bible. <laughs> and we had a three-hour conversation on the phone in my, my first conversation with him. And in that three hours, uh, just uh, you know, being able to talk with him, or mostly listen to his story, and seeing the connections in Scripture and, and, and seeing um, misunderstandings he had about God and being able to start to bring out, you know, Scripture verses about, uh, you know, uh, the Lord is a warrior, Yahweh is his name, or praise be, to, be the God, my rock, who trains my hands for battle and my fingers for war. Um, and when I started, I, 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 you know, cautiously approached it toward the end of that three hours and said, hey, Russ, um, you know, I... I hear you saying that you don't want to hear about God or the Bible, but I hear you talking a lot about God. And, uh, but I hear you talking about a God I don't know. Um, mm. Do you mind if I just give you a couple uh, anecdotes from Scripture that share the God I know that, that is far more a warrior than, than maybe you've ever heard? And I would mm. share those Scriptures, and I'd share the stories of, of like David and Joshua. And, uh, and at the end of the thing, he, at the end of the, the whole discussion, he says, he says, well, chaplain, he goes, you may be the first person that's ever made me want to go and read the Bible. <laughs> and then, you know, the, you know, the rest of the story, you know, he's, yes. um, three years later, we're baptizing him at church. And, and, mm. uh, and then unfortunately a, a year or two later, he's, um, he passed away from heart failure. Um, but he knew Jesus. Amen. And, and so while you wow. don't have these massive revivals with people flooding the altars, uh, those little nuggets um, are enough to carry you for a, for a little bit longer and a little bit longer and a little bit longer. Amen. Amen. I so appreciate that. And that uh, people like you, the chaplains, you know, I think you you have to have a heart like you do. I know you do. But you also, and I see this in you too, the other part of your character you have a resiliency and a toughness about you. You know, you're not a thin-skinned person. 
Uh, a lot of things aren't going to shock you that might shock somebody else. <laughs> and I think that means, especially with the way our world is going now, I think that means a lot to people when they can see a man or a woman that's like that. And day in and day out, they never change that way. Um, and the other thing that kind of leads into my next question or my next thought, uh, reading your book and the things that you experience, which I think would be so hard to know. Uh, the other thing I think about uh, uh, successful chaplains is they're, like you, they're high achievers, you know. Uh, they're going about doing the Lord's work, um, you know, day by day. Uh, often, like you, they have other ministries, they have other jobs. And they get into this thing, like you, you likened it to a, um, you know, a treadmill where you don't even realize, uh, you know, the how caught up you are in maybe where you've left off from hearing from God and you've begun to experience burnout like you talk about, and it's it's no longer God so much as your own efforts. And uh, I think that would be very hard to, like you came to that place where you realized it, but I think that's what our audience, especially the chaplains that would read this, ministers, I think that's a very important thing uh, to try to shed light on if you could. Does that, am I making sense? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you also um, kind of hit a point just before you started talking about the treadmill where you said that, that um, I'm thick-skinned, I have a lot of resilience, and sometimes that can work against you in ministry. Uh, right. Because, you know, I, I got to the point where I told myself after years that, that it doesn't matter how many hits I take, I can just keep going. I can keep going. I've got this ability. God's given me this, you know, like you said, thick skin. I can I can keep going. I can just water off a duck's back, you know. And um, But if you do that long enough and you really believe yourself to be that invincible, um, then you do set yourself up for burnout uh, because you're you're on a treadmill and you might not recognize um, that you have other options. Um, so, for instance, one thing I talk about is fight or flight. Um, mm. You know, do you stay and fight, or do, or is is God calling you to flee? You know, and and when I say flee, I, I mention in the book, it's not fleeing from something; it's fleeing to something. So it's it's recognizing that it's time that that we close a chapter on the ministry I'm in and move on uh, to another ministry. So um, or take a break, you know, get some time in between where you're not constantly running at a hundred miles an hour. And, um, and, and then you play that in with the idea of uh, connection with God, which is the single most important aspect of, of any ministry. If you're going to do ministry at all, uh, if you don't understand your identity in Christ and you don't stay connected with your source, uh, and we harp on that all the time in ministry, uh, but it's weird how it just slowly gets chipped away over time, that, that over time you uh, you have less time to pray, you have less time to pray with your spouse, you have less time uh, in Scripture except to study for your sermons. There are all sorts of, of things that just slowly erode at the time and the passion you have um, in Scripture, in Christ. Um, and so getting those things back is essential. Uh, if you are going to be thick-skinned, thick if you are going to be resilient, uh, that's the first place you go, is always back to God, always back to in, into His presence. And and I love uh, talking about uh, the, the idea that we need to follow Jesus in um, constantly doing what we see our Father doing mm. and only speaking what we hear our Father speaking. And it's when we start speaking on our own and when we start doing things 
because of the tyranny of the urgent. Uh, that's what causes us to start slipping from that place of being perfectly centered in Christ and do you know always having passion, always having energy. Um, so the treadmill was, to me was a, a good simile, you know, because a, a treadmill is is like that place where you're running and going nowhere. <laughs> and uh, and unfortunately, there's, you know, it's like the governor has taken off the treadmill, and now you're, uh, it's spinning faster and faster, and more people need your counsel, more mm-hmm. people want your time, more people have criticisms, uh, more people are leaving the church, even though some are coming, uh, you know. Whether, you know, no matter what you're doing, there's always something that requires your yes when maybe God is saying no. Mm. And if you're not hearing God's no, if you're not hearing, if you're not getting what God's plan is for your day each day. Um, and and I, one of the things that came to me as I was writing is that it's, it's not a storehouse, it's a cupboard. And, and that cupboard empties out each day. It's just like manna. Every day you have to go out and collect new. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I think one of the things that um, I just took away from your book right away that I really, I think it's very important uh, that you said, and it it kind of relieved me about you. Uh, I always look up to you, and I knew that um, when you moved, I was, he moved, but I began to understand more why. Uh, and you say, and I love this, um, we weren't running away. My wife and I, Sherry, weren't running away from something. We were running toward a new expression of what God wanted to do with us. And uh, I guess my question, um, you're an experienced minister, you've been through this. Uh, for those that would listen, that are kind of finding themselves in the same state, chaplains or ministers, how do they know that they're not shutting down and running away from something they should be facing as opposed to running towards something new God has for them? How would you, what would you, how would you answer mm-hmm. that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I would say that, that if you're not getting in God's presence daily, you won't know. And you may run away from something you were supposed to stay and fight for. Or you may stay and continue to fight, uh, not realizing that God ended that season months ago, and, and you're mm-hmm. blocking his ability to minister to your people because you're not where you're supposed to be. Um, so it, it all starts, again, with, with um, getting yourself in that place. And I, I, I talk for a little bit in the book about how, um, you know, here are some things you can do. And then the next chapter, I start out with, wait, you're not ready uh, to go and, and jump back into ministry fully. You're not ready to go and take the load on that you, that you took before. Because just like an addict, um, you need time uh, to prove out the fact that, that you are now in God's presence. You're now hearing his voice. You're now, you, you've gotten back to the discipline of doing what he's doing and nothing else. Uh, the discipline of hearing his no and, mm. and being able to say no to others. Uh, the ability to hear a yes in a place you didn't expect and go that direction. So knowing whether or not you're actually still in a ministry you should be leaving or knowing when to leave a, um, uh, to leave a ministry because there's something over here calling you, um, that takes a lot of an intensive prayer time and time mm. in God's presence. And, and everybody hears God differently. Sometimes I know people that have heard you know, his audible voice say, go do this. I wish it were that easy for me. Uh, for me, um, it's really going until I hit a wall. And that probably is the wrong way to do it. Um, wow. But, you know, getting the impression eventually 
that okay, you know, this season has ended and it's time to enter a new season, and then seeking out what is that season, God? What what are you calling me to? And in our move to Florida, it really was a leave, uh, you know, leave your your family and the and the land you've grown up in, and I, go to the land I will show you. Uh, it was li- literally an Abrahamic experience uh, moving to Florida because we we had no idea that we were coming to Florida specifically. We had played with the idea. We had played with the idea of Texas and Tennessee and South Carolina and uh, anywhere in the southeast was kind of the the uh, large region we'd felt called toward. Um, but I mean, we still don't exactly know what God is unfolding. We're still in the process of learning what this what this next phase of ministry is, what this next season is. Mm, that's exciting. So I was I'm going to ask you about this um, spiritual injury. You write is a condition where one's spiritual identity is in question, and I've always looked up to you in one sense because, and you've instilled it in me to have a strong spiritual identity as a favored son of God or woman of God. Mm-hmm. And I would say through this process, was that um, ever in doubt for you, or did you have a hard time with that yourself? You know, in, in, uh, in your lowest moments, you'll always you know, do the why God, why me God. Right. Um, that's, that's sort of human nature to, to go back to that. Um, I, I honestly... And there were times where, where while I knew I was a, a son of God, sometimes you get that feeling. Well, maybe I'm not, I'm not a favored son of God. Maybe I'm, <laughs> you know, maybe I'm more of one of his stepchildren. Uh, you know, and so you, you, you don't lose your identity, but you start to question um, just how good he is. And so you always have to come back to the intellectual assent uh, that God is good. And you just need to, it's the fake it till you make it thing. Even if you're mm. not feeling it, even if you're, you're at the point where you're like, well, I'm, I'm just not sure God is good to me. You just have to keep reminding yourself, no, God is good and he's good to me. He's, yes. he's called me. Uh, he, he brought me out of darkness and into light. He made me his righteousness in Christ Jesus. He's clothed me in Christ. And his, you know, his perfect intent is to form me into the image of his son. And so, um, and I and I have a section in the book on um, on doing um, daily declarations, and uh, and taking mm. scripture and and speaking it over yourself, um, you know. So so the idea that we need to take scripture as our truth, and, and nowhere in scripture does it say that uh, that God saved you, and some of you are just going to be you know second class citizens. Uh, some of you will just make it by the skin of your teeth. And in fact, you know, Paul tells us that we we don't want to be in that position, uh, you know, as if we were just barely being saved through the fire. Um, no, you know, you and I are favored children of God. We're we're everything He tells us we are, not what the world tells us we are, and so, and oftentimes not even what our mind tells us that we are. So we need to keep that constantly in in uh, in focus. Um, okay. Uh, I just feel like I should just kind of open this up more to you, unless you're not prepared. I, I mean, I got all kind of notes I could ask you about, but is there things that you would like to share about your ministry, about chaplaincy, that you would like the audience to know? I think that'd be a good direction to go. Well, first of all, I think chaplaincy is is um, uh, just a magnificent calling. It's um, pastors are. Um, uniquely gifted 
to to raise Christians up. I mean that that is their calling. And, and most pastors are you know people of great compassion. Um, I, I I was an exception to that rule. Um, I can have focused compassion on individuals, but I I, I always struggled with having this broad general compassion that pastors have, um, uh, even though I was a pastor for many years. So, um, but pastors are generally called to shepherd sheep. Um, and so they, they do most of their ministry inside the four walls of the church. And, and that's, it's a calling, it's a gift from God. And I, so I don't mean any of this to detract from that. Um, but chaplains are not called to church people. Um, while pastors are always preaching to the choir and, and seem to always be um, uh, attending to church affairs, um, chaplains go outside the doors of the church, and that's where 90-plus percent of their ministry is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, I, you know, I talk in the book about some studies that have recognized that there seems to be a, a, a distrust in one direction between uh, uh, the church and chaplains and uh, an outright skepticism in the other um, because, you know, we as chaplains go out into the world and we we do, again, that very sort of passive ministry approach uh, that some some people in the church are just not comfortable with, especially in some of the areas that, that happens. So if you're a casino chaplain or if you're a racetrack chaplain, um, then a lot of people are like, well, that's, you know, that's an area of sin. You shouldn't be doing that. You know, you shouldn't even be in a place like that. And uh, and I'm like, well, where where is the best place to shed light in a dark place? So uh, so chaplaincy can be a, a great added value to church, uh, and it is to the church. Um, it it essentially is being a local missionary. Uh, you're you're not being sent overseas, you know, to some exotic place, um, and you know, out of touch with you know for a year or two at a time. Um, you're sent literally down the street, and um, as I, I mentioned, you know, pastors are um, often skeptical about chaplains because here's this minister minister in their midst who they never see the results of their ministry or seldom mm-hmm. see the results. Um, yet that person keeps stubbornly coming back to church every Sunday, <laughs> and uh, so they don't know what to do with them all the time. And and so my encouragement is is if you're a fellow minister, draw them in. I mean, if, if they're a younger minister, draw them in under your wing. If they're a peer, draw them in and have coffee and get to know them. Uh, you may develop a, a fellow minister who can listen to you and take care of you in your struggles as, as a pastor. Uh, because there, there are few people that are as isolated as pastors mm. and chaplains in this world from support. Because uh, pastors are always being judged by their congregations. And it's, it, it's rare that a pastor can find people they can trust uh, within their congregations to really share all their struggles. Chaplains, on the other hand, are kind of, and I think they're seen this way sometimes, as these free spirits that, mm. um, you know, are out there doing this mystical ministry out there somewhere. And then they come into church and they're they're usually, you know, all bubbly and fun, and they're not worried about being judged by the people around them. So um, so I think that, that a chaplain can be um, a ministry multiplier for the church, outside of its four walls, but it can also be, uh, it, it can create a companion, a friend, a, uh, somebody that, that really uh, can line up alongside the, the pastor and support his ministries in, in ways that he may not have known. Um, 
the only other thing is is the question that kept coming up uh, in my study with the uh, right. Tacoma Pierce County Chaplaincy Board. Um, uh, the the question kept we they kept referring to was uh, who is chaplaining the chaplains, who is pastoring mm. the chaplains, um, and so when it comes to to ministers themselves, uh, we always have to ask that question: who is pastoring the pastor? Who's coming alongside them uh, in their time of need? Uh, because they're always putting themselves out there for other people's needs, um, but who is coming alongside them? And so that that I think is is one of the things that that uh, uh, that helps lead to burnout is mm. constantly pouring yourself out and then not having anywhere to go with your stuff. Well, don't you think that that was another one of my questions? And you're kind of bringing these things up. Don't you think? Um, it's vital. I would say it's vital if, if it's at all possible for a chaplain to be in a community where he's understood to a degree and accepted and brought into community rather than kind of, um, you know, well, we don't know what to do with him. We don't know what to do with you. I mean, even brought into the point of allowing him to at times minister within the congregation. Don't you think that's really important? I would. I, I, I mean, my personal thought is that, for, first of all, the chaplain needs to be sent by his church, and I, I have a chapter mm, on, on I, that as I well. I know. I remember reading that. Yeah, and uh, I, I used to do a poll in my suicide intervention classes um, where I would ask the chaplains, how many of you have not been affirmed by your church or denomination? And I'd get about a quarter to a third of the people in, in, the, in the room uh, raising their hands, and, and then I would do a, a little affirmation of their ministry, and and uh, and I would get people coming up to me in tears sometimes, uh, saying that 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 it, they didn't realize until that moment um, how much it had hurt their heart uh, that they were so disconnected uh, from their church, and I think mm-hmm. because church leadership doesn't always know what to do with chaplains, um, that they don't know how to properly affirm and send them, and so you go back to the the Acts model of laying on of hands in prayer. Um, that that we really should spend focused time and I mean even fasting and praying, we'll do that. I, I, I point out that we'll do that for pastors. You know, right. we, there's this long process of education and laying on of hands and prayer and and a big ordination ceremony, and we'll even have a ceremony for baby dedications or baby baptisms. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, you know, we'll we'll set aside special time. But when it comes to a chaplain, most chaplains receive no such um, ceremony. Um, now, sometimes that can be because there's a, a tension because the chaplains don't always do what they should do on their side of the calling, which is pursue the same level of education uh, and training that pastors do. Uh, so I encourage chaplains all the time, if the church you're called to has a set uh, amount of training and education uh, for their pastors, you should do no less than that. Um, you should be seeking that same education and training because you're fulfilling a, not only a pastoral role but a missional role. So, um, so when the, when those two come into into agreement, though, when uh, when the pastors recognize that the the chaplain is a true minister in their own right, and the the um, chaplain has fulfilled the requirements of their church or denomination to be a minister. Uh, then there should be some kind of ceremony and laying on of hands and, and anointing uh, brought upon them, and they should feel sent. 
Uh, because Amen. that itself is a buffer from burnout in their ministry, knowing that they've been sent, knowing that they have ongoing support from their church. And, and I tell you what, if a pastor and a chaplain uh, can build a relationship, uh, the, the strongest chaplains that I interviewed in my study were chaplains who had good, solid, sometimes even deep relationships with their, their pastor. Um, right. so, so I always encourage that if that's possible. I think that that is um, really vital. I think if I was called to that ministry as a chaplain, I'd want to be somewhere where there was that understanding there. Maybe sometimes pastors or leadership in a church, they ha- they have an insecurity because there's another leadership position there, but I don't think they should feel that way. In fact, the one um, lady that I know back east that's a chaplain to the area hospitals her and her pastor are have such a good relationship that once in a while, like, you know, two, three times a year, he'll actually go with her to some of the, you know, some of the, her, you know, appointments. And I think that, yes. I, I think that's really, that would be really important thing to do, you know. So Yeah, and in, including them on your leadership team. I mean, if they are a, a an ordained minister or even a licensed right. minister in some way sent by your church, make them a part of your leadership team. Uh, bring them on, and, and uh, some, some of the chaplains that I spoke to even, you know, occasionally fill in at the pulpit for the, for the pastor. Right. Uh, and it, it, that's all based on your unique skills. Some, some chaplains are not preachers no. uh, by no, no. gifting or, or calling. So, um, so you, each pastor has to make that determination for themselves. Um, but at least bringing them into the inner circle and letting them know that they're valued as a minister is, is absolutely essential. Yes, you took that poll, and I'm recalling it now, and I was kind of amazed about there were a number that expressed, like you just said, that didn't feel a connection to their church. And I, I think that's kind yeah. of a sad thing, you know. Yeah, it is. And, and, it is a sad thing, and it, and I and those are the chaplains who who in my study burned out. The, yes, had the, the highest levels of burnout. Yes, I'm, so, glad, I'm um, glad you're saying that now. I remember that. Yeah, there's isolation, a, there's a very strong connection. Isolation, mm-hmm. not feeling you have community, actually exasperates. Is that the word? Um, burnout, I would say, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and if I could just for a minute uh, sure. talk about what bur- what burnout is. In, Good, in case, I'd want you to. Uh, people aren't in the know on that. Um, burnout again has been studied since I think it was made popular in the '60s, and um, and has really grown as its own uh, area of study. Uh, and it particularly affects helping professions like doctors and psychologists and nurses and uh, and and even police and firefighters. Uh, and it's been studied strongly for uh, um, for chaplains and other clergy. Um, and it. First of all, it initially was defined as something that starts out with this emotional exhaustion, where over a long period of time, not compassion fatigue, which is a short-term fatigue from pouring out compassion. You know, say you you visited a a, a trauma, uh, or you've been doing hosp- you know in-depth hospital ministry um, for the last week because of you know something that happened, a major car accident or train accident or something that can bring about compassion fatigue. But um, long-term compassion fatigue can lead to emotional exhaustion and becoming Mm. emotionally exhaustion uh, then leads to a thing called uh, depersonalization and in depersonalization uh, we stop seeing the people that we're ministering to as uh, 
human beings in need of compassion. <laughs> and we start to become cynical about people and we start to, you know, see the same old problems from people over and over again. And so um, we, we stop, uh, we, we get a callous uh, built up on our spirit toward uh, people in general. Uh, and you see that largely in, in, in police and fire departments who deal with the same problems over and over, often the same people over and over. And they become very calloused toward people and have to reset themselves when they're talking to normal citizens. Um, but that happens with, with uh, chaplains, too. And once you've gone into emotional exhaustion and depersonalization, uh, you move on to really a reduced sense of personal accomplishment in ministry. Because your ministry is becoming less effective, because you're not doing what mm. what you were called to do anymore, exactly. or you're, you're doing it less effectively. So um, now that that um, continuum uh, was challenged by um, Dr. Leslie Francis, uh, a, a researcher out of England, who permitted me to use his um, his Francis burnout inventory, a, a tool for assessing burnout, both in my study, study. And, and in my book. Yeah, it's it's a fantastic. Um, uh, tool for for assessing burnout, and I was glad to be able to use it in my book too. Um, but that he found that in uh, clergy, it's a little different. That um, emotional exhaustion does not always lead to um, to a lowered sense of personal accomplishment in ministry. That something about being in ministry buoys up uh, the the emotional um, resilience. Of a uh, of a pastor or of a minister of any kind, and and I think you know I, it's I, I would say that any pastor or, or minister would would say that it's because we feel that that calling from God, uh, and it's because we do try to keep our relationship with God closer uh, than than perhaps we would if we were a psychiatrist. Um, not to demean psychiatrists, I know there are many really good Christian psychiatrists out there who uh, keep a really tight relationship with God. But um, but because we have that that buffer of a relationship with God and a call from Him uh, to the ministry, that offsets oftentimes the emotional exhaustion and depersonalization. Uh, but it, it's it's not a um, it's not an invisible shield. It's not something that is is going to always keep a minister away from burning out. Uh, eventually, those hits start to start to hit closer to the heart. Uh, you know, and like I said, you know, whether it's, um, you know, constant criticism or whether it's people leaving the church or whether it's the, the constant responses to trauma or whether it's the, um, uh, the, the disappointments, the, uh, you know, sense that I'm not fulfilling what I thought I was supposed to be doing here. You know, John the Baptist, I, I explained mm. in the book, you know, experiences that as well right. with Jesus. Right. Hey, are you the one that I that, that I was supposed to call forth, or is there another? <laughs> you know, and, and uh, you know, this wasn't supposed to end with me in jail, Jesus, you know. Mm. Um, and we, we all get that, that feeling, um, and I think most obviously with small church pastors. Um, we all get that feeling eventually that maybe we're not fulfilling uh, the fullness of what God has called us to. Um, so, uh, so all those things can eventually sink in and create that sense of uh, that loss of a sense of personal accomplishment, and uh, and that's when you get into burnout. When when your topsy turvy, your emotional exhaustion exceeds your your sense of personal accomplishment. So um, 
and, and every minister gets to a place where they're experiencing burnout symptoms. Mm. And so that tool is really good for, if you take that tool, it, it really kind of goes through uh, many of the symptoms that you might be facing and the, the results of the symptomology and how you deal with ministry. And, um, and you can start to see, oh, wow, I really am starting to become cynical. Or, mm. oh, yeah, I, I really am uh, not as satisfied in my ministry as, as I used to be. Mm. So, um, so burnout has that continuum. Um, it, it's all often buoyed up for, for ministers because of our, our felt calling and, uh, and our connection that we try, that we try our best to keep with God. Um, but eventually it, it, burnout can break through, especially if we hang on to something longer than we should have, or if we're, we're really taking the hits a lot and it, it finally gets to us. So, but there is a way out, and that's, that's what the book is about. There's a way yes. back uh, from burnout. Yes, amen. Amen. It's an excellent book. Um, I think unless you have anything else to add, I think we'll probably um, probably be done here. Unless you, uh, Is there anything you'd like to leave, leave our audience before we uh, finish up, before we're done? Uh, sure. I would just encourage, if you're not a minister, I mean, I, obviously I, my theology is that everybody's a minister, but if you're not an ordained minister, if you're, if you're not called to some sector of ministry, um, get this book for your pastor. Amen. Because your pastor may be struggling and, and doesn't know it. Um, and it, I know it can seem a little funny handing your pastor a book about burnout. Um, you know, make sure you take him out to coffee and let him know how much you appreciate him before you hand him the book and say, hey, this was just, you know, I, I thought a good tool. I'm not assuming anything about you burning out, but I thought you should have it in your library. Um, and if you are a minister who's, who's uh, starting to question after uh, this podcast, you know, hey, maybe I am struggling with burnout. I get the book, take the tool that's in it, um, you know, learn about it and, and learn how to overcome. Uh, you know, God did not make you for a ministry on a treadmill. He didn't Amen. make you uh, for, for constant frustration. Um, you know, you can be uh, weary and burdened, um, but the come unto me part of that uh, is is really what Jesus is saying to come unto me, get back in my presence, um, find that that source, that that nourishment that you're supposed to have for your for your ministry, because when you get in His presence, you'll either receive the strength you need, or uh, He'll tell you, no, this season has ended. Let's move on. Amen. <laughs> One Amen. or the other, you, but don't don't Amen. keep striving on the treadmill. There are green pastures. Uh, Jesus called us to the green pastures. We can go in and out and find pasture, and it's a wide open field. Run and play like you used to with the passion you used to. Amen, amen. And would it be all right if we uh, see what I'm going to do? Is I'm I'm putting in a shameless plug. Everybody, go out and buy this book. You can get it on Amazon, right? Yes, both in Kindle Weary, and on Burdened paperback. and Burned Out by uh, Pastor Chris Bassett. And I will make sure we have the all that information in the show notes so you know just exactly how to get the book. And would it be all right, I'd also ask, is it okay if um, we put your... Well, they'll have your contact information if they wanted to contact you. And that's okay Absolutely, with you? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and so, if, if they, for some reason, lose it, they can find it through my website and send me a message. Yep, that'll all be on the show notes, so... All right, my my friend. And I'm not, I'm not I'm not one of those big time guys, so so I, I respond <laughs> to everybody nowadays. So I don't have a thousand emails a day. <laughs> yes. All right. I love you, my pastor, and uh, love I'm you. Exci- Matt. I, I'm excited for this book. So, thank you very much for your time. We'll thank talk you, again. Matt.
All right, God bless you, brother. God bless. Thank you for joining us for another great discussion on The Kingdom Corner, hosted by Matt Geib. Remember to click the subscribe button so you can be notified of each new episode as it's released. To enjoy an even deeper dive into God's Word, check out Matt's new devotional book, Searching for Significance, a devotional journey through the book of Ecclesiastes. Learn more and even hear from Matt himself on the devotional website, significanceacademy.com. As always, thank you for being a part of The Kingdom Corner.